Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shy Day New York. Well, thank you for tuning in. We are here with Avi Nanjia. Avi is a social entrepreneur and the founder of BetterWorldEd.org which is a non-for-profit team of educators and storytellers who are on a mission to help you and youth love learning. Abby, welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast. Hey, thanks, Rob. So I noticed uh, when we first met, you used the term that you're a social entrepreneur, which sounds very fancy. What what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the idea of a social entrepreneur, this is what I studied in school, is to figure out how do we address the challenges we face in our world in a sustainable way? How do we use business principles to make an impact in our society in a, in a way that helps people help other people? And, mm. and so the way I see the concept of a social entrepreneur is somebody who's really out there learning and trying to understand what are the challenges we face and, and then how do we bring the right people together to design solutions for them? So kind of everything that you know about entrepreneurship, you know, uh, inventing something, lean in, startup, blah, 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 but not just building it to sell, sell out and make billions, but actually help billions. Yeah, kind of almost like with an intense social change bent on it. Yeah. Mm, amazing. Now, your idea uh, is this Better World Ed. That's not a person. It's What's it short for? It's Well, so Better World Education essentially is this idea of how do we create an education system that helps young people grow up to become social change thinkers so that when they go into whatever job they do, whether it's at an ad agency, whether it's in education, whether it's at some business on this block or in this building, they're out there making an impact. Hmm. That is... Not something I would expect uh, of the world these days. You know, it's uh, it's very uh, I don't know. It's very uh, generous of you to have this kind of notion. It feels like for me these days, it's starting to feel like it's really the only thing I could find myself doing. Hmm. Uh, we face huge challenges in the world. I mean, to think about how to actually address them is something more and more young people are thinking about, and we don't have really an education system that helps support that. Yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, looking at this, you know, you've got a very cool website that we'll talk about and uh, all this interesting content that you make. Was there a moment where you said, these are the problems I'm seeing? Like sometimes when, you know, when I talk to entrepreneurs, they, they see a problem in the world. I mean, did something happen? You like saw something that sparked this idea? Yeah, so I grew up in Buffalo and... That's enough. <laughs> What else? It's a Buffalo thing. I grew up in Buffalo, and I feel like what I've learned about Buffalo over the past, I don't know, 28 years is that there's very much a, we'll figure things, like, we have to figure things out. I mean, it's a place where there isn't always a lot of opportunity, and there mm. isn't always access to all the things we have here in New York. And so there is that mindset. We're raised with this kind of, like, grit, persistence thing. And then blended with uh, my family's all from India and when I was 11 we went back to India for the first time mm. or at least I went back for the first time to to immerse myself in and meet family and to be in New Delhi and mm. one of the things that would always happen is I'd be walking down the street and there would be kids my age begging for money mm. and I had never become aware of the world in that way that there mm. were people who my age didn't have access to a meal that night or a place to sleep it wasn't that it didn't make sense and it felt unjust to me. I just didn't even understand that that was a concept. For me, I thought everyone just goes to basketball practice, comes home, 
eats some waffles or something and then hangs out. And so for me, that was the beginning of, whoa, why aren't we learning about it? And how old are you when you have this 11. whoa slash woke moment? 11, amazing. Because yeah. I think uh, when, when, when you think about uh, being 11 years old, I mean, you're just not, it's almost hard to think about other people. You're too busy, you know, worrying about your next video game or... Well, and I was. I mean, the reality, too, was then through middle school, the way that we've designed our education system and, and society and the media and everything, it was part of me now, but it wasn't all I was thinking about mm -hmm. yet. And there wasn't really anyone supporting me learning more deeply about it. So my grandfather and people told me about Gandhi and, and mm -hmm. gave me books and movies to watch. And, and so I started to begin that learning process. But there wasn't the support to really dive into that until I got to high school. I always, I always loved uh, Gandhi's quote, you know, be the change you want to see in the world, which I think is what you're doing. I mean, maybe talk a little bit about what is Better World Ed, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and frankly, it's uh, uh, betterworlded.org. There's a, there's a place you can go to start to see this thing unfold, but, but, but tell us about it. Yeah. So it's kind of built out of that same wonder about people and about people's lives and perspectives. I mean, for me, I had always wondered, what is that kid's life like? Where do they go at mm. night? And in the same way, what we do now is we create stories. It's kind of like ethnographic storytelling where we spend time with and learn about and live with people all over the world. Here in New York, in India, in Indonesia, in Ghana, in all different places, we learn about their lives and we create these wordless videos out of this person's story and life in a way that really gets kids curious about learning. So for a student somewhere, pick a place, really. Buffalo? Yeah, Buffalo. They're able to watch a video which doesn't have any words in it and just start to see the beginning of someone's life. And then we pair it with stories and lesson plans that help the student then say, oh, there's more to this person than what's in this on the screen. Kind of like you walk down the street, there's no voiceover <laughs> telling us who somebody is. Right. Right. There's no voiceover or narrator or subtitles where we just are like, oh, yeah, that that person, that's their life. We have no idea. But somehow with, the, with video, we've taught kids and people to think, okay, after three minutes, you can just know everything about somebody. And in the same way, we're saying, well, if we pull the words out, it forces us to wonder. So did, was there a moment where you made a video and you had words in there and you thought this could work better? Was it, did this happen as a mistake? I mean, it makes up a lot of things. Uh, because I, I was watching, uh, you know, one of the reactions from uh, one of the educators, one of the teachers in your, in your piece, and they really remarked that the wordless piece to this was the key that unlocks, whether it's the empathy for the kids or whatever. I mean, how did this happen yeah. that you went wordless yeah. on a podcast, which is all words? <laughs> so in 2014, I moved to India after school. So I went to Northeastern, studied social entrepreneurship there, and then right after, moved to India with this question of how do we design an education platform and, and all of this stuff we want to make in a way that's adaptive, in a way that someday when we try to scale this thing globally, we don't have to remake the content for every country we go to. And we didn't oh, know okay. anything. To, we had no idea what that would mean right. when we went. And I was just, I'm, I'm kind of like that. I just leap into things and say, well, here's the challenge. I'm obsessed with that. I don't know what we're going to do yet, but let's go talk to people and learn what we might do. And so when we were living there, a lot of the teachers would use the stuff we were curating. We were curating videos mm. from all over and they'd say, our kids can't really understand what's going on or our kids aren't really paying attention or our kids are just really focused on what the person's saying. And so they're not really watching the video. And one day we thought, well, okay, what if we just 
pulled the words out. Hmm. What would happen? Everyone thought we were nuts. And most videographers we talked to would say, there's no way we could make an engaging video without any words in it, especially for kids. And so eventually it became this, okay, well, we have to figure out how to do this. I mean, everyone's telling us it's impossible, but we have to try something. And so eventually this amazing videographer from South Africa, Odie, reached back out and was like, hey, that sounds cool. All right, if you can get me there. So we flew him to India and he made the first story, Gunny, a story of a farmer who immerses in his work life. And then you see a really beautiful scene at the end where he's at home with his kids. And a lot of people, when they think about a farmer would say to us, I just think they work really hard. Mm -hmm. Maybe they didn't have any other option, but they never talk about the family. Right. They never talk about Gunny helping his kids with his homework. They never talk about maybe he really cares about rice and teaching people about rice. And that's uh, he has a rice museum. I mean, wow. it, it's a beautiful thing, but you wouldn't know that just right. seeing a little, a few images. So that was the beginning of when we sent that video out to teachers, a lot of them responded with, wow, I just started crying. I've never thought about a farmer. And, and how long was this video? Three and a half minutes. So, and then just, just, to, just to maybe, you know, help people out even more here. So you have this kind of inventory of global stories? Yeah. So there's 50 now. 50 videos from about, I think, 12 different countries now. And what are some of the subjects? Yeah. Obviously a farmer. What else have you done? I mean, actually, on 53rd and Lex or 53rd and Park, there's a food truck owner, Yuvraj, who runs a food truck and the beauty of his story is there's so many beauties of his story which is the, kind of the whole point but the thing that we learned as we were telling his story was we started challenging our own assumptions and wonders and biases he he started a food truck after his son passed away his mm. son always wanted to be a chef and he never really let his son become a chef and then when his son passed away he said i'm gonna i gotta quit my jewelry business and start a food truck in honor of my son and so walking down past his food truck, nobody really would think that that's, how would you know that that's his story? And so there's stories like that everywhere. There's a food truck owner, there's a person who sells chai in India, there's a banana grower in Ecuador, there's all kinds of different stories. And then, so what happens with, uh, the, you know, your audience is educators. So let's put ourselves in the shoes of a, of, of a teacher. Is there any particular grade these teachers are? Usually between kindergarten and sixth grade. Okay, so let's say we're we're a fourth grade teacher. Uh, we we hear about the site. We're avid Disruptor Series podcast fans. We've heard about this site. What are they looking for? Like what? Like what? Like when they go to that site, like what do you think or what do you know is happening to them as educators? Yeah, every single teacher I think I've talked to in the past few years has said, "I wish I could teach about the world in a more meaningful way." but I don't know what to use. I don't know how to find what I would need. And so when they discover this stuff, it's like, well, here's an instant way that I could bring the world into my classroom. I mean, I can bring school to life in a way that I wasn't able to before. And so that's kind of what we've found is maybe that main driver for mm -hmm. a teacher who comes to us. Bringing outside in. Yeah, bringing the and world sort of into the expanding the mind of these kids. Yeah, and also every story and lesson plan we make incorporates math and literacy into it. So for teachers, it also feels like, oh, and I can enforce and re kind of just reimagine the way my kids learn fractions. So that fourth grade teacher can say, hey, we're going to learn about Gunny today, and we're also going to do fractions problems that relate to his plot of land. Listen, if I could have learned about fractions, I would not be in advertising. I would be I'd be an investment banker. Oh, I'd be retired now because I would have been <laughs> a very successful investment banker. But, you know, 
can't do math, so you go into advertising. Yeah. <laughs> so and and so and then talk a little bit about this. Um, you know, kind of. I saw one of the videos that there the teachers are showing. I don't know if it's somebody in Ghana. It was a shepherd, and then they were teaching arithmetic. There was an interesting. I don't know if that was the example of the math, but I don't know. Talk a little bit about how what's happening with the curriculum. Yeah. So in that story or in any of the stories, the video kind of acts as a hook for students to be able to understand and for teachers to be able to see where there might be math, uh, to just kind of start to wonder, where's the math? What what could we discuss after this? And, mm-hmm. and then after students watch that, a teacher is able to introduce these written stories that incorporate all different aspects of their life. We're not getting away from word problems is what you're telling me? Well, so it's basically, (laughs) well, one of the things that we've been learning from teachers is word problems are actually the hardest thing usually for students to actually do. Often they'll learn how to do the numbers on when you just put like 12 plus 7. But if you write out the word 12 and write out the word 7 and interlace it into some bigger word Conceptualize it. Right. And then you have to kind of discover the math, which is... Mm. Math. I mean, that's <laughs> that's the world of math. I mean, those are the math problems we're solving every day, right? In your job, in my job, mm-hmm. in everyone's job, we're doing math. Yeah, basically selling stuff is math. Everything is yeah. math. I mean, there's math everywhere we go. Maybe you're disrupting math. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder. That's an interesting way of looking at it. But the stories are helping in some way to either demonstrate or help you find... Like you, I love this phrase, find the math. Yeah. The thing that has been really fascinating is seeing kids in a classroom reading these stories and after class actually saying to the teacher, wait, did we really just do math? And they just did a bunch of math problems. I mean, they, they did more math problems than they usually do. And teachers have said to us, well, I'm sitting there in a classroom. We just did the math that was the hardest for that one student. Mm. And they were the one to answer the question. And they never answer the question. And they never feel confident enough to do so. And here they are feeling like, oh, I I get it. I get Mm. why this math matters. So that's been pretty cool to see. And the other interesting thing, apart from this academic stuff, because people are going to be like, oh, my God, there's too much math now, (laughs) is uh, kind of the EQ stuff. What what I find really fascinating about uh, Better World Ed stuff is that it's this combination of IQ and EQ. So, you know, talk to us a little bit about what's happening in terms of the empathy that students are finding in stories that aren't about anybody they've ever seen in their lives. Um, EQ is something that every teacher we talk to says, I wish I had more ways to focus on this. Mm. And every company we talk to says, I wish more people had it that we were hiring and that there was a way for them to grow up learning in that way. Mm. And a lot of the programs that exist today will be helpful in talking about the different aspects of what it means to have emotional intelligence. What we've been trying to figure out is how do we really immerse someone in it so that they're not Mm. talking about the word empathy. They're just practicing it. They're not talking about what it means to think critically. They're not talking about understanding someone else's perspective. They're just doing it. And so what's been kind of a beautiful thing to watch kids doing, and as we kind of keep iterating the product and the content, we're trying to solve for that. How do we make something that you don't ever have to talk about these words? You just are doing it. You're, you're practicing, just like the math. Right. You're really practicing stepping into the world of that farmer in India or stepping into the world of Yuvraj, the food truck owner here in New York. And instead of trying to be told or, or trying to tell your students, here's how we could be compassionate or, or understanding of this person's perspective, you just let them read. 
and mm. you see that it's happening. And then later it's like, oh, you know, people in the world are going to call that empathy. You guys are doing it. That's right. pretty cool. Usually people who aren't empathetic are going to call that <laughs> empathy. So I think you should tell people a little bit. I know that you're, uh, you've uh, sort of uh, rested a bit in this moment, but maybe talk a little bit about your amazing gypsy lifestyle. <laughs> I don't. I don't know how to talk about it. Like, it's like, been, like, it's like, been what, weird. Like, what did, like, what did last year look like? Because I know this year you're sort of spending more time. I think we're in Brooklyn. Are you now? Yeah, I'm in Brooklyn right now. All right. So, but, but a year ago, what, what did, what did uh, the two days in the life of of Abby look like? I, I just was on a plane all the time, or a bus, or a train, or looking at some flight or a train booking site somewhere in the world. I mean, it's been weird. This is going to be the first month. This month, is it March? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All month. Yeah. This March is the first month since 2014 that I'll be in the same city for more than three weeks. So it's been like five years of constantly moving between places. And when I asked you, I remember uh, when we had our first cup of coffee together, uh, I said, oh, well, were you staying? Like, oh, I'm staying on this couch. I'm going, I mean, you're like a true couch surfer. Yeah. And and what's beautiful is that we have a really great network of people who have also. I mean, some of those couches have been very very nice couches. And some so, of, all right. So <laughs> who's in this network? I mean, so do, I mean, uh, just bring it. To, I think it's very interesting. So you, what's wh- where would you be uh, last March? Yeah, India. I, I don't actually remember, but it could have been anywhere between Indonesia, India, the U.S. And let's say you're in where, like Jakarta or outside the city? So in Indonesia, we were making stories. And so we were in East Bali um, for part of the time and then in Ubud for part of the time, which is where a lot of people probably listening to this are familiar with. And then we were in parts of Java where it was kind of like we landed in Jakarta or we landed in a place and then it was a five or six hour train ride out into a more rural part of Java where we were making the story we were making. So, And then how big is the crew that you're with? So you're making, you're making all these uh, video stories. Yeah. So how big's the crew? Well, it depends on the shoot, but it's anywhere between one and two people. Uh, so we try to keep our teams very small. I mean, we're immersing into someone's life and, and we're living in their home and we're sharing in their experiences and eating dinner with them and sleeping on the same floor. So in that way, for us, it's a lot about how do we really kind of like when we studied anthropology, just be with and mm. learn with and, and kind of become part of their lives rather than waving around a bunch of boom mics and I don't know, all the lights. And, and, and what kind and, of, um, you know, equipment are you shooting with? We shoot with is Sony a sponsor yet. Because we we prefer Apple. Okay. All right. Well, we shoot on Sony's. Um, Sony is a kind of a four-letter word for us, but that's okay. <laughs> so we're shooting on um, a couple little DSLRs, the Sony A7 series, and then... those are great. They're not as good as Apple, but they're very good. <laughs> and then we our sound stuff is just on-camera mics, and that's really it. I mean, that's all we carry around. We have a gimbal. We have a little drone. We've been trying to up the production value, but a lot of teachers and students will say these are the best videos they've seen in a classroom ever. So for us, it's not as much. I mean, we've also been pretty low budget for the past few years, so we didn't think to say let's let's up the quality of the gear and everything. And But we also want, I mean, I think the primary thing is we want to keep the gear small. I mean, mm-hmm. waving a big, like bringing all that gear scares people. You lose the intimacy. Yeah, and yeah. The so just having a little DSLR just sitting there. People forget it's there. So you would do that shoot for a couple days over there in Southeast Asia, and then what would happen? Um, like, do you edit? 
Well, I don't. So right. our, our team's doing all kinds of different things. So we have, in some cases, we're able to bring on one of our team members who edits things. Otherwise, one of the videographers that we shoot with, Wayne, will, will edit things too. Um, in different phases, it's been different ways. But I'm moving between, personally, between going on those kinds of shoots. If, say, we raise the funding to make a specific series of stories, I'm definitely on that shoot. And then from there to potentially a funding meeting to another city where we might have a school that we're engaging with to potential partnership conversations somewhere else to it's just kind of everything. And and what how are people funding you? I mean, who are these individual donors or these schools or these, you know, talk to us a little bit about, you don't have to reveal all your yeah, funding yeah. secrets, but maybe a few in case people want to uh, fund you. Yeah, uh, that would be cool. <laughs> well, so it all started kind of like the way I reached out to you. I mean, five or six years ago before moving to India, I just started reaching out to some of the authors and people that were inspiring for us and that we studied in school. And I just kept reaching out. Mm. And eventually some of them were like, well, actually, one of our board members and funders said at first, I'm not the right person to talk to. And I was like, OK, but I'm here in Berkeley. Can we just meet? And eventually we did. And then he became our first funder. And so... It's been... You're very good, though. You're like one of the best nudges I've ever met in my life. You're, oh, yeah. you're, you're able to... It's not annoying? No. <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> and you're good, because even if I if I can't meet with you, you're very kind about, that's okay. And even if I blow you off, you're very kind about saying, <laughs> hey, listen, you blew me off. Is there any chance we can meet? So uh, <laughs> thank you for being a, a real, a true gentleman. I think that's what's been fun is, I, I don't know, I read a lot of mindfulness and meditation stuff and, and like practice that kind of stuff too. And I think one of the things that's been fun is I've started to put myself in the shoes of people who fund us and who help us and who make things happen. And, and I mean, everyone's busy, but they're, they're busy people. They're doing a lot of things. And I, for the people who I know care about what we do, I know that they don't want to not meet or this or that. There's just a lot going on. So for me, it's become this kind of like with our first funder, Mal. It's been just this journey of persistently reaching out to people until I'm, I guess, disrupting their life. <laughs> and, and and who's Mal? Uh, he's, he's an author and social entrepreneur, and he became our first donor and then also uh, is on the board of a lot of different cool stuff, hmm. Peace Corps and just a lot of cool things going on in the world. And he was an author that we studied in school. Mm. And so I just started bothering him until he would sit down, especially because he's in the writing world. So it, it was pretty relevant to our journalism stuff. Yeah, interesting. So you mentioned that uh, you were 11 years old, you're in Buffalo, and your eyes get open when you go to India. So let's talk a little bit about your journey. How did you get into this stuff beyond being kind of awakened at that moment when yeah. you were 11? I'd love to hear our school's perspective, but I, here's mine. Um, K-12, I went to this small little progressive school. Um, it's called the Park School of Buffalo. Beautiful place. It's a 44-acre farmhouse turned into a school in 1912. And it's all about progressive education. It's all about how do we become active learners for life. And so for me, I got this beautiful opportunity to learn in a really engaging way. We'd go to the pond on our campus to study in like certain science topics. And so things like that were always happening. When I got to high school, after a second trip back to India, I had even more questions because mm. I got back to India and said, wait, there are still kids begging me for money. This didn't change. And I mean, I was in eighth grade. And so us sitting here now, it's like, of course it didn't change. But for that kid, it's like, wait, why is nobody doing anything about this challenge that we see here? And when I got back to high school, 
I had all those questions, and we also had teachers who wanted to talk about it. So a lot of my English courses, a lot of the things we were reading were focused around inequality and inequity and, and were focused around social justice. And so in high school, that started to build as, okay, I, I know I want to spend my life working on addressing challenges that matter in the world. And as I got older, as I got to be a senior in high school, it became... And I know I want to be in education. I mean, if we could change what we're learning, if this was what we were learning when we were younger, right. imagine what the world would look like if every kid grew up aware of and thinking about the challenges we face from the age of like five. The world would be completely different if every kid was immersed in that stuff every day from the age of five, everywhere on the planet. I mean, there's, there's just no question. Right. And so... This became this thing that was just rolling around and has been since. What would the world look like? Well, I think it's it, actually getting momentum. It sounds like so. it. it, it <laughs> yeah. Seems it, like it. It's been cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think in in the moment of moving to from high school, so I taught geometry for a semester while I was in high school. It was a strange, again, strange, cool school, and they let me do that. And so it was a big experience in learning about what it, what it takes to be a teacher. Yeah. And then when I got to college and started so studying social entrepreneurship, it became this question of, wait, this could have been what we were doing the whole time. I mean, this should And by the school. way, did you choose your uh, Northeastern because they had a social entrepreneurship program? I transferred there because of that. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and I, it was the exact thing that I was like, wait, this is it. This is what I want to do. It's what I want to study. This place sounds awesome. And you get to spend half of your time traveling around the world. I was in South Africa and in Ghana and in Bali and for school, getting credit, learning about cool social change work. So, and when it was winter in Boston, I'm sure that was those <laughs> yeah. were all really good trips. They were all in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it would have been great if they were in the winter. Um, and so in college, there, I went back and, and one of my internships was teaching social entrepreneurship at the high school level. And that's when it started to click that, wait, we could do this. This is possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a way. Kids were hooked on this program when we were doing this stuff. But then eventually testing came around and, and math, everything that kids had to do for their SATs, for math, for exams, made the program kind of start to fall apart. We were learning about really cool stuff, mm. but it wasn't the priority. And, and that makes sense. Right. I mean, it doesn't make sense to me, actually, but it, it makes sense in the way that our system works. Uh -huh. And so over the years between then, which was like 2010, and moving to India, there were these questions of, wait, but there's got to be a way to, to fit this together. I mean, we have to figure out how to fit it all together. But if we're going to take a classroom and make it a more engaging, useful, meaningful thing, we're going to have to fit this stuff into it rather than like just try to – I always wanted to just see it all change. Like, okay, cut math class, cut English. We don't need any of that. Let's just study the world. But then over time it became, wait, if we really want to, I guess, disrupt the way that education's happening in our world, we're going to have to fit within the existing system in a way that... Or, or at least uh, bend it and stretch it. Yeah. Which I think is the power of what you're doing. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. It's really, we're not really trying to fit into it. We're, we're basically saying, here we are. It works in your math class. It can help your kids learn math even better. Mm -hmm. But the point's not math for us. I mean, the point is this EQ stuff. And the right. point is this global immersion stuff. And we think, and we're starting to see that you think that's the point too. So here's our like path to freedom as teachers, as school leaders, as administrators, who I've come to believe all want this. 
Yeah. Well, what's what's nice is that uh, they have to deliver the IQ piece, but suddenly they're getting the EQ piece as a value, value added. But ironically, it's the EQ piece that actually helps the IQ piece. Yeah. I think it's really kind of powerful that way. Yeah. Why do you feel that is, that EQ helps the IQ? Um, I think sometimes on uh, very logical things, you almost learn it through... uh, mechanization, whether it's uh, memory or it's rote. And I think when there's empathy, and the same can ultimately be said for when you're trying to uh, sell something on behalf of a brand, when there's empathy, it's more holistic. There's a chance that you can understand the mechanization in a way that also leads to the benefit of something or how it's going to help someone's, how it's going to help my life. I think that's one of the, one of the challenges. I was talking to Sean, our producer. He said, you know, sometimes with, uh, with educational stuff, you know, you're like, oh, this, you know, I'm never going to use algebra in my life, so why am I studying it? But if you understood something about I don't know. Even if you knew the history of algebra as it being, you know, kind of an Arabic um, invention and, and, you know, how they did it, you know, way back in the day, you might go, oh, this is kind of interesting. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) You're my guest. I ask the question. (laughs) But isn't that been part of your success is that you, when you were 11, you asked the question, why is this boy who looks just like me? Why is he, you know, impoverished and why am I not? So it seems like questioning has been kind of your fuel from the get-go. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, for better or worse, or like, <laughs> I'm sure half of the world's tired of me by now, but the, yeah, it's, it's endless. I mean, when people tell me I shouldn't have questions, which is what happened. I mean, when I was growing up, so often somebody would say, that's just the way the world works no need for right. that. Like, don't ask that question or like, that's a dumb question or what's the point of asking that one? We'll never fix that. And so for me, that just all became fuel. It was like, what? <laughs> I think you hit on something. I think this notion of that's the way the world works was definitely, you know, I'm a Gen Xer. It was a big part, I think, of, um, I don't want to call it the zeitgeist, but at least the conventional wisdom of the day. Well, that's just the way it works. So get over it and deal with it. Yeah. Versus, I think, your generation, and what I'm seeing, you know, with, with my children, uh, they can question stuff and try to make it better. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. So, betterworlded.org, uh, I also want to ask you a bit, what is next for this thing? Is this going to be a you know more and more robust for educators? Is this something that brands can get into, businesses? Like, what... How do you see the future of this? So we actually just had a really interesting thing happen. So Vision Spring, the nonprofit partner of Warby Parker. Do you know Warby? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Vision Spring is their nonprofit partner. A lot of a lot of funding and a lot of support goes to Vision Spring to help. When you buy that pair of glasses from Warby, some of that money is going to Vision Spring to help bring right. affordable, great glasses to people all over the developing world. It's kind of their Tom's Shoes exactly. uh, angle. Yeah. And they're trying to take that to another level with all mm. the different programs they have. And so... We just worked with Vision Spring. They hired us to make a story about a girl who needs glasses in the same style we do mm. everything else. And I'll, I'll show you this, actually. We were basically tasked with make the curriculum you make, but make it about somebody who needs a pair of glasses and doesn't have them yet. And so we went in and we filmed the screening process for a group of kids at a school and found a, a girl who needs glasses and then made a whole story about her. Her name's Tanya. And so we profiled her in a wordless film. And when you watch the film, everybody who watches it is like, oh, I, I get it. And there's no words. There's nothing There's nothing being 
told to you. By the way, there, there's been studies. I don't know this, the precise study uh, this is, but I've, I've heard this and seen it before that, that it's something like 70 percent of what we absorb, you know, when something's being communicated is all visual. That, you know, it's, it's why television uh, has always worked so well, because it's so immersive for the audience. You know, you don't need that 30 percent half the time. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and we I should think, say that. And, 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 and I think what's also kind of interesting, I, I got to find this study. What's also interesting is that when we, when we live this life on phone, very often, more often than not, there are no words. The video just appears on yeah. mobile. So I think you're onto something. Yeah, and I mean, for us, it's not about how do we become the creator of these things. We're creating content that helps people make it. So mm-hmm. we hope that this becomes a style that more nonprofits, that more social change organizations start to take on to say, how do we tell our story in a way that actually drives curiosity? So that by the end of that three-minute video, you're not just thinking, oh, okay, I get it. Tanya has this problem she can't see. Okay, I'm, I'm done. Moving on to mm-hmm. the next video or to the next thing. But you're wondering about it a week later, which I've had people say. They'll email me later and be like, you know, I'm still thinking about that Danya video. Mm. And what else do we want when we want to engage people in their hearts and their minds and say, hey, get involved with this thing? I think you should open up a uh, an, an empathy agency. You, you know, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, using your uh, social entrepreneurship to work on behalf of brands to create these empathy films. That'd be fun. Yeah. I mean, it's very, uh, very cool. That'd be fun. All right. So uh, so part of your next, I mean, you're, uh, you, I mean, you've written some beautiful things in your manifesto about uh, we help, I like when you say we help you, parentheses, youth, you you and youth love learning about self, others in our world. I think that's really powerful. And uh, I also like, you know, this thing at the end, again, it's very, uh, it's, it's very weighty stuff, the things you're trying to disrupt here. This is you. This I'm quoting, uh, you know, from your manifesto, uh, trying to address our global challenges with wit and no ideas can feel good, but only for so long. We can innovate to redistribute all of our food and all of our funds, but how long will this last and what peace will it bring if we still hold on to judgment, prejudice, hate, or misunderstanding deep in our hearts and minds? You're not done yet. The peaceful, harmonious, and beautiful future we dream of isn't so far. It is within all of us right here and right now. That's very powerful and poetic. Yeah, thanks. And I think that's what you're trying to do, right? I mean, you're, you, you, yeah. you are. You're trying to change the world. Yeah, it's interesting. I think what I've been finding in myself, at least in this past decade-ish, is I guess Gandhi was right to loop back to the beginning. Like, if we can – and I, I didn't – I always read that and loved it. But it never really started to click until... Uh, be the change you yeah, want to see in the world. Until, it's, it's one of the most powerful thoughts. Yeah. And it never. It, it's starting to become something that feels like, well, he's right. I mean, it, it, when somebody's freaking out on the subway, how do we have the calm and the peace to, without needing to do anything potentially, help them calm down? Yeah. And, and to be able to ask the right question or step into someone's shoes or world or stand next to them and wonder with them without judgment without Mm. here's your problem or right chill out dude (laughs) to be able to really wonder and really mean it like to actually wonder not just to think okay now i'm gonna have to do this step where i empathize but like where it starts to become (laughs) become who you are yeah for me is like the journey i mean that's the thing i'm Mm. i feel like i'm on is how do we how do i get closer to being able to do that well and 
I think I have so much. Like there, it's a, it's going to be a lifelong thing and and more. But how to become those things you were just reading? I mean, how how do we all find and in ourselves, in each other, that peace and that ability to say, okay, we face these huge challenges. Let's do something about it together in a meaningful way. And like, let's change the little and big things in our lives to make that happen. Not just say, well, if this policy shift happened or if this business would change or if they just donate a little bit more, then everything would be fine. But to be able to say, yeah, there's all that. But also the way we live our lives, the things we think, the, the thoughts we share with others, those things all matter. And so if we could have kids, I mean, the thing that I wonder about is and we don't have the answer. Nobody has this answer. What would happen if when kids were three, they started learning about and wondering about these things from then? Mm-hmm. They're like wondering about and reading about things like this. They're understanding the concepts of mindfulness and meditation and, and understanding social change problems all over the world in their own town when they're like six. And they're immersing in, I don't know, a hundred different countries and a thousand different perspectives by the mm-hmm. time they're 12 without having to leave their school. That could do some crazy things. Well, you know, I, I can't help but thinking as you talk, you know, you just remind me of, um, you know, when, when, when John Lennon, you know, and uh, he did give peace a chance, you know. Um, we've tried war, right? Con- convention. <laughs> we try it every day. Right? I, 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 you know, so let's give peace now. a chance. Let, yeah. let, why don't we just try that once? Why don't we do, you know, what to me is, of course, you know, as a, as a, as a disruption practitioner, you know, Give peace a chance is the disruption to chronic war, and I don't know. I don't know why we don't do it, but I think I think you're onto something. Uh, well, before we close, we, we you know we've got uh, some good listeners out there who love the show, uh, and you know from uh, you know the the contact that we get, some folks are professionals. They're they're CMOS. They're they're in their careers, and some people are just starting out. So between them, I mean, what's what's the best piece of advice you would give them? What a question. For me, it feels as simple as find more ways in your life to move from your head to your heart, no matter what you do. At least that's what I'm wondering about these days is how do we move more from our heads in the way we make decisions, in the way we treat each other, in the way we think about ourselves, in the way we think of self-judge, in the way we do all of these things. How do we move more towards our hearts? I think it might be that simple. I mean, this whole, like, give peace a chance concept doesn't have to be restricted to people in the social change world. Right. It can be someone at an ad agency. It can be someone running marketing at some cool new whatever startup. You can do that. You can make that kind of choice as a career and still be. Like, you don't have to think every day, well, how do I go change the world? You can do it in your job thinking about how do we market in a way that's more heart-driven, that's more peace-driven, that's more community-oriented, that's more real and authentic. There's a way to do that for anybody in any job. Well, that was really pretty amazing. I'm not sure I've heard an answer as good as that, especially uh, move move more from your head to your heart. I think that's great. Well, listen, Abi, uh, you're doing amazing things. You are changing the world. I urge everybody to go to betterworlded.org. It's a very special place. He's doing really, really powerful films. And um, thank you so much for nudging me. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. It's, I love, it's I love that I know you, and I'm so glad you did the show. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, brought to you by TBWA Shite Day New York. 
Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.